0: This week and every week, Life and Crimes is brought to you by subscribers of The Herald Sun. If you like the podcast and want to support it, go to heraldsun.com.au forward slash Andrew Rule and click on any article to begin. Like many crooks and gangsters, Arico had secrets that he didn't want to come out. A lot of crooks hate people who talk to the police, even if they talk to the police themselves. They have to pretend that they hate snitches. They deal in drugs, they deal in standover, they deal in dodgy security companies, they deal in arson, and sometimes in murder. I'm Andrew Rule, this is Life and Crimes. This week we present the first part of our end of year episode on unsolved crimes of the decade. We're going to start with an unusual one. It's the murder of Carl Williams, which as all our listeners know is well and truly solved. That is, his cellmate Matthew Johnson has been convicted of his murder back in April 2010 at Barwon Prison when Johnson took a bar from an exercise bike and bashed Williams to death. But there's a mystery to the death of Carl Williams, and that is, who actually ordered it? Who ordered the hit? Who came to an arrangement with Matthew Johnson to have him killed and why? Johnson is really the perfect jailhouse killer in residence. He was already doing a very long term and had no prospect of early release. And Johnson is one of those institutionalised creatures who decides that to be top dog in jail is better than to be nobody outside. And therefore, he was the ideal candidate to be approached to kill another prisoner, in this case, Carl Williams. The ironic thing, of course, is that Williams had actually asked the authorities to be allowed to be a cellmate with Matthew Johnson and with another prisoner, an old friend of his that we'll call Tommy. And in fact, Williams insisted that this was a good idea, despite some thoughts by others that it wasn't necessarily a good idea. And in the end, Williams was proved wrong. So the question now is, who paid to kill Carl? It seems obvious there had to be at least two conspirators behind the killing. The smart money, says a handsome gangster called Rocco Arrico, who's now in jail himself, leaned on a trusted friend of William's to set up the hit inside. Now, Arrico, back in 2010, was very much outside. He was on the loose and flourishing. He was a prolific drug dealer, allegedly, at least he had paid for a beautiful and expensive house in Bayside, Melbourne, and he was flying high. However, like many crooks and gangsters, Ariko had secrets that he didn't want to come out. And Ariko's secret, it is said, is that he was one of the two men who had gone along to kill Mad Richard Mladnik at a St Kilda motel back in May 2000, and that Ariko had done this on Carl Williams' orders. And so a RICO had a motive to silence Williams once it became apparent that Williams was cooperating with the police and prosecutors in gathering information about various crimes, notably, of course, the murder of the Hodsons, Terry and Christine Hodson, in Kew in 2004. The fact is that by 2010, Williams, star prisoner at Barbin, was trading information to the police in return for favours to his family. And although Williams was trying to make it clear to his fellow prisoners that he wasn't going to roll on anybody who was outside and anybody who wasn't already in jail, he was only going to be talking about, you know, dead guys and all the rest of it, it did stir up some animosity towards him because a lot of crooks hate people who talk to the police. Even if they talk to the police themselves, they have to pretend that they hate snitches. And this would suggest that Rocco Arico suspected that Williams could easily implicate him in the Mladnik hit of 10 years earlier. But the question remains, did anyone else stand to benefit from Williams being silenced? And if so, did they kick in to some sort of Matthew Johnson benefit fund. By benefit fund, the fact is that prisoners in jails have accounts which can be topped up with money by friends or family so that the prisoners can buy the necessities and the little luxuries that make jail almost bearable. And that when you're inside, locked away for many, many years, having access to even that little bit of money is far better than not having it. Because if you've got it, you can buy you know, the sort of contraband that prisoners deal in, such as tobacco and drugs, and it gives you an edge in the jail economy. And the suggestion is that whoever wanted Carl Williams dead would have in some way paid Matthew Johnson to do it. And that, of course, includes the idea that someone outside would pay friends or family of Johnsons outside. Because the least he could do while he's in jail is to provide for any dependence that he might have on the outside, and this was one way to do it. So who else benefited? Well, with the Hodsons dead in queue in 2004, the case against a disgraced former policeman Paul Dale collapsed. Now Dale was widely accused of orchestrating the murders of the Hodsons back in May 2004 when an unknown hitman turned up and persuaded the Hodgson's to let him inside. The betting is that the hitman was in fact the late Rodney Collins, also known as Rodney Earl, also known as the Duke. And Rodney Collins was a despicable human being who had killed many people reputedly and in fact had form for killing not only the target of a hit but also killing the witnesses. He went to an address in Heidelberg many years before the Hodson killing disguised as a policeman to gain entry into their house and he wanted to kill the husband for some underworld reason but because the wife was there a woman called Dorothy Abbey she also was killed and so it's clear that Rodney Collins had the form to disguise himself as a policeman to gain entry and also to kill two people for the price of one. He was that sort of reptile. Listeners will, of course, recall last week that we mentioned Rodney Collins in connection with the Hodsons. And so the point of that is that Paul Dale, uh, disgraced policeman, and his fellow rogue policeman, David Mitchell actually had a strong motive to want Williams dead because with Williams out of the way, it couldn't connect Dale... To the Hodson hit. And so whether Dale organised the Williams killing in jail or not, he was undoubtedly the beneficiary of it. And so for a long time, it was only natural that all fingers pointed towards Dale. It was only later that some people put two and two together and worked out that the third man in the unit, in the Acacia unit, with Williams and Johnson had a close connection with Rocco Arrico, and then it suggested itself that perhaps Rocco Arrico also had a motive. And so, in summary, one of the better mysteries of the last decade is not who killed Carl Williams because we know Matthew Johnson did, but who paid for it. Speaking of our friend Rocco Arrico, this is not the only time we're going to talk about him, because... Rocco gets about a bit. Toby Mitchell has become one of the best known crime figures in Victoria, perhaps Australia. Not only he's the classic bikey with the tattoos and the tattoo parlours and he's the guy that you see at the boxing events and the kickboxing, he's also quite a talkative and charming man considering the business he's in. The business he's in He's a mystery to many, but not to police who link him with serious crime of all sorts, but specifically the outlaw motorcycle sort where they deal in drugs, they deal in standover, they deal in dodgy security companies, they deal in arson, and sometimes in murder. And Toby Mitchell was flying high and looked a million dollars until the day a gunman ambushed him outside Doherty's gym back in November 2011. This is Doherty's gym in Western Street, Brunswick, near the very busy Barclay Square shopping centre. And just down the street, incidentally, and crime aficionados will recall this, it's just down the street from the Quarry Hotel, where another Melbourne standover man, the late Brian Kane, was shot dead by two mystery gunmen in 1982. That is a story we have mentioned before. It just shows you that some things don't change. At least the locations don't. Only the tattoos do. The name of the gunman who pumped five bullets into poor old Toby that afternoon has been widely circulated, but no one has actually been charged with it. The thing about Toby Mitchell is that he was rock hard from years of gym work and kickboxing, and he pulled through, being shot five times where most of us might not have. He lost a kidney... He lost most of his liver and he lost the movement in his right wrist. But he survived to fight another day. In fact, less than two years later, Toby was sprayed with bullets outside another gang's clubhouse out at Melton. So Mitchell, the one-time raging bull, has become Mitchell the bullet magnet. Someone out there didn't like him, but who and why? That is why we've included his shooting in the list of Unsolved of the Decade. Plenty of people might have had a reason to draw a bead on him, but we're tipping that the Calabrian crime figure Rocco Arico, mentioned earlier in connection with the death of Carl Williams, also had reasons to be very unfond of Toby Mitchell. And Rocco Arico is near the top of the list of those who had grievances against Toby. There is evidence, in fact, that's been aired in a court case which gives in detail how Toby Mitchell cheated Arico of a one-kilo consignment of cocaine that one of Arico's underlings sold to him on Boxing Day 2010. This is an interesting story of how crooks rob each other and then get vengeance. Mitchell took the kilo of cocaine, but he didn't pay for it. And what he did, he took delivery of the drugs in a sports bag at a pre-arranged outdoor meeting place in Brunswick, and he told Arico's message boy, a bloke called Arthur Vuthas, that the money was in the bag under a nearby tree. He then drove away, and when poor old Arthur Vuthas goes over to the tree and opens the sports bag, instead of finding the 375 grand in cash, that was the agreed price he found a bundle of old Ralph magazines. Ralph magazines, these are, are now defunct lads mag. Arthur then had to go home and face Rocco Rico, telling him he could scrape up a hundred grand, but not the full amount, to cover the lost merchandise. So he lost the kilo of cocaine and he didn't get any money and he lost a lot of face for himself and for Rocco Arico. This was not good. The... Very angry Arico threatened Arthur and his wife Stacy, and he demanded that they sell or mortgage their house in Coburg to pay him or pay him out. Either that or kill Toby Mitchell to settle the debt. So when Toby Mitchell was shot outside Doherty's gym eleven months after the cocaine ripoff, Arthur claimed credit for it. But somehow Rocco Arico knew that was a lie. And he continued to stand over Arthur Vuthas and his family, torching Vuthas's father's car and threatening to shoot up their house. He exerted so much pressure that it turned Arthur into a police informer, willing to wear a wire to trap Rocco Arrico. And that is the sad story of how Rocco Arrico came to be implicated in several serious crimes. It's why he was sentenced to a long jail term and it's why, when he's eventually let out, he will face deportation to Italy, the country where he was born. Because sadly for Rocco Arrico, although he came to Australia as a very young child, his parents never got around to naturalising him. And so if he walks out of jail one day, he will be placed in a very cheap seat in an aeroplane and sent home to an Italy that he's only ever visited. Toby Mitchell, of course, is an interesting man himself and one we will visit some other day. But for now, his name is high on the list of unsolved shootings in Victoria. Speaking of bikies who soak up a lot of shots and don't die, there is the story of the crybaby Comanchero Robert Arley, so-called because he burst into tears In court on one occasion when told he was going to do some time in jail. But when he's not in court being told he's going to jail, Robert Arleigh could be very unpleasant and a very tough guy indeed. He was the right hand man of the big time Comanchero gang boss Mick Murray and as such Robert Arleigh incurred the displeasure of other people in the outlaw biker business. That's why In February 2018, Robert, as we'll call him, was free on $400,000 bail on 30 charges. He clearly didn't feel under threat when he relaxed at the Nitro Ink Tattoo Studio in Hampton Park. This is a business that used to be linked to uh, his boss, Mick Murray. But relaxing didn't do it for him. It all changed when two masked men burst into the tattoo studio and shot him full of holes. In fact, they shot him nine times, and one bullet hit him in the head, but it didn't kill him. Whether this tells you about the hardness of his head or the softness of the bullets, I don't know. Arlay survived, but seven operations were required to patch him up which would seem to be a great waste of surgeons' time. CCTV images that the police released later showed that a stolen silver Audi had pulled up outside the tattoo parlour. The driver stayed at the wheel and two hooded men ran in, did the shooting and bolted out. Of course, later the police found the Audi burnt out nearby and there were a number of theories as to why Robert Arley might have been the target of an attempted hit. One is that there are powerful people worried about what he knows about their activities. And another is that the strike was a way to get at his boss Mick Murray, who was then in jail. The people investigating it don't know which theory's right, and probably they don't care. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with part two. Hi, I'm Jen Kelly from The Herald Sun. Join me for In Black and White, a podcast series about some of Melbourne's forgotten characters. It's available on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. A troubled young woman. Her evil parents...